Hello and welcome, David Baker. Welcome to the Fundamental Baptist Podcast. We're glad that you're here, and uh, I'm really glad that you're here today. Um, this topic, will this get me into trouble? I'm sure not at all. Did you see the title of it? Is expository preaching creating heretics? Okay, is expository preaching creating heretics? Uh, we will get into that. We did one podcast on styles of preaching, and I had a couple other uh, guys help me with it. And this was not a battle started by us. I don't care if people preach expository preaching or textual preaching or topical preaching. Um, as long as it's biblical, okay, it's truth. There's uh, not any error or heresy in it. And I think the preaching should be spirit-filled, not filled with the flesh. Uh, by the way, it's amazing how many people judge other preaching that it's filled with the flesh. Oh, he tells too many stories. What, like Jesus, <laughs> like Paul. He talks about himself too much, like Paul, every time he preached. Let me tell you about a man. Uh, who's he talking about? Himself. Um, it's amazing. Or uh, the preaching is too hard, it is too mean, too strong. Really? Uh, yeah, Jesus would never preach like that. Uh, he would never call names. <laughs> Have you read the Bible? Uh, people ask many times, hey, what's your favorite sermon? Uh, my favorite sermon is Matthew 23. Okay, Matthew 23. Go ahead and read Matthew 23, and you tell me how he preached that. Do you think it was like this? Uh, well, when do you, uh, scribes and Pharisees, uh, hypocrites, you do compass sea and land to make one proselyte, and when he is made, ye have made him a twofold more child of hell than yourselves. You think that's the way he preached? <laughs> I'm sorry. That was really hard to say that way, much less for Jesus to be in an open air and preaching. Okay. Well, what do you blind guides which say, whosoever shall swear by the temple is nothing, but whosoever shall swear by the gold of the temple is a debtor. Ye fools, ye blind, whether it is uh, greater the gold or the temple that sanctifieth the gold. What does he call them? Hypocrites, blind guys, serpents, fools. Are you kidding? He's calling them names and he's hard with the religious. Exactly. That's what's needed. So um, it's amazing how much criticism there is of the real type preaching on um, a few different uh, places, a bunch of independent Baptist groups. I posted this question, this survey or this question say, hey, what sermon changed your life? What sermon did God use to change your life? I got a couple hundred uh, people in all the different places that answered that. A couple hundred. It was amazing. <laughs> Let's see. Was it expository preaching? That, a sermon like that? A textual preaching? Or a topical preaching? Would you like to take a guess? <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. Every one of them. Without fail, every one was topical preaching. One person said, uh, any expository sermon, which means you can't point to any expository sermon that changed your life. Oh, just, yeah, all the expository sermons that I've heard. Everyone, when they named a sermon, it was a topical sermon. Everyone. They can bring you back to the date, the time, the place, when it was preached, where it was preached, who preached it, and how God used that sermon to change their life. That's why God said the foolishness of preaching. God chose the foolishness of preaching to save them that belief. Um, and I think we are really, really messing up when all we do is expository preaching, and it does get into heresy, and I'll share that with you in a minute. Um, by the way, Wednesday night Bible study, guess what I'm doing? Expository preaching, verse by verse through that. Many times in Sunday school, we'll do the same thing. It's teaching, okay? Um, but boy, I was taught a sermon is a greasy wrench to fix a problem. 
as pastor, as uh, the under-shepherd. You go to the Word of God, the apothecary, and get the medicine that's needed and come back and preach it. Make sure it's truth, not error. Make sure it's filled with the Spirit. Make sure it's what God wants you to preach. And incredible what comes out of that. And um, I'm afraid that people are buying into something that is really going to hurt their churches and people. Um, Everyone, about 200 people answered that. Every one of them that named a sermon, it was a topical sermon that God used to change their life. Pretty amazing. Their surrender to God, uh, their salvation, something really big in their life that changed their life, it was a topical sermon. Please do not throw that away. Understand, it's funny, even the guys that tout the expository preaching, so uh, there's a place for it, and they talk about when they really needed to fix something, guess what they did? They went to the Bible and found a topical sermon and preached that topic. When you really need to change something, it's topical Bible preaching. That's how Jesus preached, how Paul preached, how all of them preached. I'm a little sarcastic sometimes. So when I see someone touting only expository preaching, I'll say, amen, just like Jesus and Paul, okay? which of course they never did. They never went to some Old Testament passage. They quoted Old Testament all the time, but they never went to some Old Testament passage and pulled it out and gave it a, gave an expository sermon about it. They never did. Okay. So they should be our example. The Bible is our example. Jesus is our example. Paul, boy, what a great preacher. That should be our example. All right. So, um, so how, all right, is uh, our heretics created by expository preaching, okay? Let me get into that because uh, that's a topic and what I want you to hear. So I heard a guy on a podcast, not going to use his name, um, but former IFB, Independent Fundamental Baptist, now a Calvinist, and moving away from the biblical doctrinal positions in other ways also, and he said this, I remember when I became a Calvinist. I was doing an expository verse-by-verse Bible study through the Gospel of John, and I got to this verse. John 6, 44, no man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. And I just knew it. It hit me. I saw it. Wow. Irresistible grace. You cannot come to God, total depravity. You can't come to God unless God draws you. And then when God draws you, it's irresistible. I got it. God used expository preaching, going verse by verse through the gospel of John to teach me the truth of Calvinism. I knew it. It was then I became a Calvinist or reformed, however he explained it. By the way, look at that verse. There it is. Wow. (laughs) Okay, Pastor Baker, I'm going to become a Calvinist too. That, that, That says it. No man can come to me except the Father, which has sent me, draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Wow. Listen carefully. Guess what? If he had done a topical study on God drawing us, then he would have found this. John twelve thirty two, And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. This, he said, signifying what death he would die. By the way, one of my pet peeves is when people take just verse 32. All we got to do is just lift Jesus up. Just lift him up. Just praise his name. Just lift him up. And he'll draw all men unto me. That is so far out of context. The best ways to interpret and understand the Bible, two the simplest ways, is number one, in context. Number two, compare Scripture to Scripture. The Bible is the best commentary on itself. If you have a question about something in the Bible, look up all the verses that have to do with that topic, and then that will make more sense to you. When you look up all the verses on that topic, it'll bring that. They take that verse, if we just lift up Jesus, God will draw all men. 
Yes, we should lift up Jesus, but that's not what that's talking about. Read the next verse. This he said, what? Signifying what death he would die. Being lifted up from the earth is the cross. He is being put on a cross, nailed to the cross, lifted up from the earth. He said, if I do that, if I be lifted up from the earth, if I die on a cross, then I will draw all men unto me. This he said, signifying what death he would die. Context, context, context. All these praise and worship guys and all these uh, uh, praise and worship services are going to, this is the verse they use. No, I don't know how many times I've witnessed to somebody and they were not interested. And you could tell they weren't interested. My job is to give them the gospel. Uh, Guess what happened when you got to the cross? People who weren't interested became interested. When you start sharing what Jesus went through, how his body was broken, how he was bruised and wounded for our transgressions, um, the blood that he shed, everything that happened, marred more than any man, is formed more than the sons of men, didn't look human. People that weren't interested, guess what? They become interested. If I be lifted up from the earth, he said, he'll draw all men unto me. This he said, signifying what death he would die. That's God drawing. How many men will God draw? All men, all men unto me. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. For God so the world, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, it's anyone. It's not limited atonement. By the way, we have some podcasts coming up we're working on. And uh, we're going to go through every point of the five tulip of Calvinism and deal with every point. Stay tuned for that. But uh, it's amazing how that John six forty four <laughs> surely comes into context when you say, wow, by the way, is it true? Can you come to God unless God draws you? Yeah, of course it's true. It's what the Bible says. <laughs> but when you look it up topically, you find out that God drew how many people? All men. All men. Huh. Well, it sort of messes up that doctrine, doesn't it? Messes up that. Just limited atonement? Just for some people? No. He drew all men. And irresistible grace, do all men accept it? No. All men don't accept it. <laughs> that, that one truth right there will mess up two or three of your tulip points. Just the one verse. Amazing. Um, so, by the way, what happened when he got to that verse in his verse-by-verse study of John? He'd already made up his mind. He's a Calvinist. By chapter 6, verse 44, when he got to chapter twelve thirty-two, saw that God will draw all men. Uh, he's already a Calvinist. I guess it doesn't matter. His mind was already made up. Topical study, not just exposition, verse-by-verse-by-verse. By verse by verse. If he would have looked up, okay, God said that no one can come to him except the Father draw him. Okay, I need to study draw. I need to study how God draws us. Uh, the word draw, 75 times used in the Bible. Most of the time drawing water, uh, many times drawing swords, uh, sometimes drawing near or drawing nigh, draw nigh to God and he'll draw nigh to you. Two, <laughs> where God is drawing us, John six forty four and John twelve thirty two. Wow. It's amazing how much a topical study of that topic of drawing would have fixed and he would not have become a heretic. It would have kept him from going into Calvinism. Uh, is expository preaching causing uh, heretics in this case? I would say yes, because if he would have done a topical study of that, he would have seen, oh, by the way, preacher, how many times, hey, Christian, how many times has somebody said, oh, I was reading this in the Bible and this is what I found? And they have a thought by a verse. And then you go, Okay, it's a neat thought, but what about, what about, what about, what about, what about, what about? Oh, okay, yeah, I guess it's not saying that. <laughs> okay.
Okay. When you compare scripture to scripture, it fixes heresy. There's so much heresy that's created by a verse when we do not look at the topic of study that goes with that verse. And I would say most heresy comes from that. When you look up all the topics, all the verses on that topic, it will shed so much light on it. And that's what we're supposed to do, to compare Scripture to Scripture. When we have a question about something, we go to the Word of God, and we see what did God say about that topic. And when we do, it will shed light on that and truth, and now we'll know what it means. I want to give you one more. In my area where we live, there are a lot of Church of Christ um, that were formerly um, Campbellites. Uh, they came from Alexander Campbell, who was a Presbyterian, and he read the Bible and saw that baptism was by immersion. Came up out of the water, went down into the water. Baptized means to immerse, and became a Baptist. And uh, he even said in his uh, uh, Baptist history that Baptists are the only people that can trace their genealogy all the way back to the disciples, and were not a part of the Catholic Church. Okay, that was uh, Alexander Campbell from the Church of Christ. They later changed from the Campbellites to uh, Church of Christ, Disciples of Christ, different names. But it's really strong in our area, and um, you have to repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. That's their main verse. And uh, boy, they live on that verse and they know that verse. And there's only four, maybe five verses that seem to say you have to get baptized to go to heaven. They're all very simple. I'm not going to go through all that, but I just want to show you what, when you study something topically, how that will fix heresy. Okay. That's 238. By the way, two things, that's what we said. Two things will two simplest things to fix heresy. Number one, context. Number two, compare scripture to scripture. We need both of them. And when we look at context and compare scripture to scripture, uh, it's amazing how true the Bible is and how much heresy we avoid when we do that. Acts 2.38, then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. There it is. Okay, to go to heaven, you have to repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of sins, and then you get the Holy Ghost. That's it. By the way, there's so many religions that uh, bounce on that verse. The first thing you look at is context. What is verse 38 talking about? Then Peter said unto them, okay? So there's something going on here, all right? Uh, verse 38 is the answer to a question. When I talk to people, I always ask them, okay, what's the question? Without them looking, nine times out of 10, they say, oh, yeah, they were saying, what must I do to be saved? Okay, let's look at it. Verse 37, the last phrase, men and brethren, what shall we do? Does it say, what shall we do to be saved? No, we can't add verses. We can't add words to scripture. The scripture says, what shall we do? By the way, they were not asking, what must I do to be saved? How do you know that? Well, look at the passage. Acts 2, 21, and it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. They weren't asking, what must I do to be saved? They already knew how to be saved. Because Peter, in verse 21, showed them that it's just Jesus. You call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. He already told them. They weren't asking, what must I do to be saved? They already knew how to be saved. And the verse 37 doesn't say, what must I do to be saved? This is men and brethren, what shall we do? So topically, if we looked up, what do we have to do to be saved? Then we find one verse. Acts 16, verse 30, and brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? That's the only time in the Bible that question is used. What must I do to be saved? And they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved and thy house. What do we do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Wow, that messes up their rendition of Acts 2.38. 
<laughs> but that's in context the only time that it says, what must I do to be saved, all right? How do you know they weren't asking what must I do to be saved? Because he already told them in verse 21, all they had to do was to call upon the Lord to be saved, okay? So we understand that. Now, what else? So that's context. You understand context. What was a question? What did it already talk about? Then you compare scripture to scripture. Where else did the Bible talk about what must I do to be saved? That's like 16, 30, and 31. And by the way, for any Calvinists that are on here, um, they had a choice, <laughs> okay? Um, the jailer, he had a choice to accept Jesus or not. He did believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and he got saved. Um, so, Let's go back to verse 38. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. The big phrase is that, for the remission of sins. So, according to that, it looks like we have to be baptized for the remission of sins, or baptized in order to have our sins forgiven, okay? It's all in that one little word, for, that little preposition, okay? It can mean in order to or because of. There are places where you can see it's in order to or because of. So, you explain that. Okay, I believe we're baptized because of our sins that were already forgiven when I believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, when I called upon Jesus and asked him to save me. They believe we're baptized in order to have remission of sins. So when you have a question, you look at Scripture, compare Scripture to Scripture. So did any other time the Bible talk about remission of sins? Absolutely. Matthew 28, uh, 26, 28. This is my blood which is uh, of the New Testament, which is shed for many for their remission of sins. Okay, remission of sins by the bloodshed. Um, Mark 1, 4, John did baptize in the wilderness and preached baptism of repentance for remission of sins. Repentance, and we've already explained that. Changing your mind from dead works to trusting the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, which what? Taketh away the sin of the world. That's what John was preaching, okay? Baptism of repentance, not turning from all your sin. No one ever has. We've talked about that. Baptism of repentance, changing your mind from your dead works, thinking all your keeping of the law is going to save you, and trusting the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. He preached that, remission of sins. Uh, Luke one seventy seven to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins. Um, and then in Luke 3.3, 3, talking about Jordan, baptism again. Um, then you look at this, Acts 10.43, okay, same book of Acts, to him Give all the prophets witness. So how many prophets preach this? All of them. By the way, same salvation, Old Testament, New Testament. Okay. (laughs) To him give all the prophets witness. How many? All. Well, the Old Testament, they didn't understand all that. Uh, You don't know, and I don't know what they all understood, but I know this. To him give all the prophets witness that through his name, whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. According to Acts 10.43, how do we receive remission of sins? By simply what? Believing in him. Wow. That's the same thing Acts 16, 13, 31 says. Wow, that's the same thing Romans 10, 13 says. That's the same thing uh, Acts 2, 21 says. Wow, that's the same thing. A hundred other verses to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Wow. It's the same thing. We get remission of sins by believing in Jesus. Amazing. Romans 3, 25, to whom God has set forth to be the propitiation, the payment through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. Our remission of sins comes by faith in the blood. We get his imputed righteousness and he takes our sin for the remission of sins that are passed. What an amazing thing. When you look up all the verses topically, 
that deal with remission of sins, guess what you find? Wow, remission of sins becomes comes from what? Believing on Jesus, changing your mind to believe on Jesus, the blood of Jesus, accepting Jesus as your Savior, believing only on him. It's him through this, the propitiation, the payment, faith in his blood to pay for our sins. Wow. So guess what? It's not baptism that we get remission of sins. We're baptized because our sins are already forgiven. If I um, jump for joy, am I jumping in order to get joy or because I already have joy? (laughs) I'm jumping because I already have joy. I'm baptized because my sins are already forgiven. If I praise my wife for her beauty, am I praising her in order for her to have beauty or because she already has beauty? Because she already has it. I'm baptized because my sins are already forgiven. If I get a ticket for speeding, am I getting a ticket in order to speed? I wish. That would be nice. No, I'm getting a ticket because I already did speed. I'm baptized because my sins are already forgiven. If I go to jail for a crime, am I going to jail in order to commit a crime? No, because I already have committed a crime. And a biblical example, Jesus healed the lepers. He told them to go to the priest and offer a gift. Here it is for thy cleansing. Were they offering a gift in order to be cleansed? No, Jesus already cleansed them. They were offering a gift because they had already been cleansed. We are baptized because our sins are already forgiven. Now, most people listening to this believe that, but I want to show you how when you compare Scripture to Scripture and understand the context, you will have truth and not error or heresy. There are many people in our area and around the country and the world that are trusting in the work of of their baptism to wash away their sins because they have not done a study of all the verses that have to do with that topic. If they do, compare scripture to scripture. It will shed light on that and bring truth to that. That is simple. That is logical. That is biblical. And that's what we're supposed to do. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. If you believe that in Calvinism, because only the Father, you can only come to the Father if the Father draws them. Listen, you should be ashamed of yourself that you didn't see John 12. Wow, if Jesus lifted up from the earth, he will draw what? All men. I, I didn't see that. I didn't know that. You ought to be ashamed of yourself that you didn't do a topical study of God drawing to find that. And you wouldn't be in heresy on that teaching people. Calvinism, what a horrible doctrine that is. I was saved in the Southern Baptist Church, had a friend with a girl. We were friends growing up, same class. And I moved away, she moved away. And when I became a preacher, I preached at a little church in Tennessee before I pastored. I was in Bible college. She came to that service and heard me preach. And at the end, she goes, yeah, she goes, I, I, I really struggle. I said, well, she goes, yeah, I keep sinning. I keep messing up. I keep doing things that are wrong. And my pastor said, I just may not be one of the chosen ones. <sighs> what a horrible, horrible doctrine. Again, we'll talk more about that. But does expository preaching create heretics? Sometimes. And I believe it has. Uh, if you're teaching expository, awesome. Study all the verses that have to do with that when you come up to something. 
can't count how many times going through Genesis verse by verse in this Bible study that we've been in for a year, year and a half. Don't know how many times the subject came up and we stopped and did a topical study of that topic and that issue to see all about that. For instance, we're in Genesis 49 right now. And uh, it's when Jacob called all of his uh, 12 sons and he blessed them and he prophesied and said, this is what's going to happen to you and to your family and to your tribes. And so he says it. And then when I'm teaching on it, instead of just going verse by verse by verse, I'm taking everyone, all right, let's look at Reuben, past, present, future, and what happened to this tribe. Let's look at Simeon when he said, Simeon, Levi, your instruments of cruelty. What did they do? You see the past. And what happened to them? They're going to be scattered in Israel um, and separated. And they were. The Levites didn't have land. God was their inheritance. The uh, tribe of Simeon was in the middle of Judah and then dissipated later on. How come when you look at something topically, you understand it more than just verse by verse? And God intended us to study the topic and know all about it, not just verse by verse by verse. You will have a very limited understanding if all you do, if all you do is verse by verse. Is there anything wrong with verse by verse? No, I just said I'm doing it. (laughs) But to make sure when there's a question that comes up, you study it topically so you are rightly dividing the word of truth. That's what we need to do. All right, have fun with this one. (laughs) So uh, God bless you. I hope it helps. If you have a question, feel free. You can email us at the Fun Rental Baptist Podcast at gmail.com. God bless and have a great day.